podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carol Matchett. How are you, sir? I'm terribly tired, Dave. It's not like you to make me record so early. <laughs> so for those that don't know, himself is in Mexico. He assures us he's working, but me and Guy have seen the pictures and there's not a whole lot of work being done. He was complaining about the weather because we told him that it's zero degrees both where I am and where Guy is. And he was saying, well, it's only 10 degrees here before letting slip that it'll be 25 degrees later today. So anyone wanting to give Carl some sympathy for having to get up early in podcast can shove that sympathy where the sun doesn't shine. Now, Mr. Matchett, on Which is apparently matters. the UK, according to your responses. I don't live in the UK, excuse you. <laughs> How very dare you. <laughs> um on to matters of great importance. Jordan Henderson, who left Liverpool for a new challenge, an exciting challenge. He went to Saudi Arabia, Carol, not for the money you understand, but to make changes, to grow the game, to do something important. And he's binded off after six months and is going to Ajax on a one-and-a-half-year contract on a free transfer. What are your thoughts on that news as you get it fresh out of bed? Um, I mean, I would fall off my chair in surprise if only I could be asked. Um, look, we spoke about this at length, and the players made their decision to slide into total irrelevance. Football-wise, that is my view on it. That's exactly what they did, and that's exactly what has happened. As any of us... Watch that league on a regular basis? Have we followed the news on a regular basis until it involves a big-name player or someone formerly of our club or our league or anything like that? It just hasn't happened at all. Um, we made comparisons with the Chinese Super League from that's part of a decade ago rather than Everless or anything like that uh, in terms of the way that the deals were being done and what the players were doing, the types of players who were heading over there. And we are already seeing the first few leaving, not all of them, obviously, I'm sure a few will stick out. I'm sure a few will mm. enjoy it over there. There's you know, all types of people enjoy all different kinds of things. That's the point. But I think with some of them, the way they tried to frame the move or justify it to be about the football, it was utterly transparent to begin with and is only shown to be even more so now. Yeah, entirely. Um, and he's not the only one that is leaving, but he is the only one that tried to make it out for being something other than what it was. And it's worth noting that the fearless leader has led Al Etifak from seventh in the league last season with a bunch of plumbers and school teachers in the team to eighth in the league this season after the signings of Musa Dembele, Damari Gray, 
Ginny Wijnaldum and Jack Hendry, all of whom are good to decent players, decent to good players, decent to good players. So a much improved squad in a team, in a league that has only four good teams, it's worth pointing out, and he has taken them backwards. And he will leave after a run of games that has seen them not win in the league since the 28th of October. And that win on the 28th of October is their only win since the 21st of September in the league. They also got knocked out of the King's Cup. So uh, one win in four, one win in 12 uh, as he scuttles out the door. Must have left his leadership in his other trousers. Um, Ajax getting him is is quite interesting. The purveyors of the beautiful game. I, I didn't have Ajax pissing all over the legacy of Jürgen, of, of uh, Johan Cruyff on my bingo card for 2024, I must admit. But it is funny. Like, it is just funny to see <clears throat> all the money that was put into that league and so many of the stars and big name signings already looking to. I mean, Bobby, by all accounts, wants out. Uh, Karen Benzema, by all accounts, wants out. Henderson is getting out. And there's been rumors and reports of four or five other prominent names who would like to abandon ship and move on. Um, You'd wonder how much longer Steven Gerrard stays there. It obviously hasn't gone well. They're 28 points off top and only eight points above the relegation zone. So, you know, if this bad run were to continue, it wouldn't take much for them to slide down and be in a bit of a dog a dog fight. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, unsupr- Here's the thing. So he's going to Ajax on a one-and-a-half-year deal. According to Ornstein, he originally wanted a two-and-a-half-year deal. Ajax weren't willing to do that. Ajax have been dreadful this season, but they have improved since the change in manager. But... What's the purpose of this move for him? Because it's not furthering his career, other than the fact he's going to play for you know a big name club. He's unlikely to win an Eredivisie title in eighteen months there because they are so far off the pace, and it's not a very high standard of football. Like the Eredivisie has fallen off considerably. Do, do you see? Is it just? Is it just that it's Ajax, it's a big name, and he'd rather go play there than for the Premier League clubs that might want him, like Burnley or Luton or you know one of the, the lower-level teams who he would have to take a pay cut to join as he's taking at Ajax? Um, it could be. It could be maybe just the um, ability to win matches on, on more of a regular basis with Ajax than would probably be the case at a couple of those clubs in the Premier League. Um, it's... Uh, obviously, you say it's not the best standard, and that's true, but also it is better than where he is now. <laughs> so a step up if you want to, to look at it that way. Um, Ajax are also in the Europa Conference League, I think, for the for the knockout stage uh, after Christmas. I think they finished third in Brighton's group. So mm. there is that, I suppose. Not that I really value Europa Conference League as anything, but I guess a large part of this is probably Henderson wanting to remain in the England squad for the Euros. 
Um, I mean, I was thinking about? possibly the family. Oh, I wonder yes. if the family just haven't settled over there and want to move home, but he can't maybe move home for tax purposes because obviously then he wouldn't have been out of the UK long enough to have been a, a non English resident for tax purposes. So maybe they move back to the UK. He lives in Amsterdam, but travels home once a week for a day or two. Something like that could be potentially the reason. It might well be. I don't know. There's much point speculating unless he says it, to be honest. And I certainly don't know the uh, inner workings of the Saudi tax system, let's say. So maybe, maybe not. Might well be more to do with the, the lifestyle than the football that he wants to leave. Um, I would imagine it's both, if that's the case, because well, I don't know. We don't need to put poor any more derision on the standard of that league. I mean, we've seen the footage of the crowds or the lack thereof. We've seen mm. the football. We've seen, to be perfectly honest, a few highlights of Jordan Henderson himself not doing too much. Wow. Um, I'd imagine that the, the the crowds might have been the biggest wake up for him when he rocked up to a game and there was six hundred people there. Because this is a lad that for 15 years was playing in the Premier League, first at Sunderland, raucous home crowd, then at Anfield, raucous home crowd. Even when you go away in English football as Liverpool, you're playing in front of a full house. And to go to Saudi and turn up to a game and there's 600 people, I mean, there's more young, more than that, young lads standing on bins trying to look over the wall at the training ground most days. So I'd imagine that might have been the biggest thing for him to just to experience that, to look around and go, I've made a mistake here. This is is not what I was sold. I mean, look, home games might be a different matter, obviously, but besides in time, his debut is going to be against Arke Sivalik. Their last home attendance was 6,500. So... He's not exactly coming back to the, the biggest, rowdiest, fullest stadiums in Europe either. But obviously Ajax, Amsterdam Arena and a few select matches always are pretty good atmospheres. Uh, very, very full. And certainly in and around that city is very football focused, which I can only imagine is not quite the case over in all parts of Saudi Arabia just yet with this fledgling Super League. No, I mean... I'm looking at the attendances for Al Etifak games here. And they play Al Nazir, they get 14,000. That's the Cristiano crowd coming to watch that. Uh, their home attendance for the next game dropped by nearly 10,000 for a game against Al Kalej. Uh, then it dropped again by 2,000 for Damak. Back up to nearly 5,000 for Al Tai. They go to, they play Alfetti, they get a decent crowd, but then they go to, where is that game? Oh, I had it up here with the 600 people at it. Oh, yeah, they go to play Al-Rahad in the Prince Fazil Bin Fad Saman Stadium, which holds 22,000, and there's 696 people there. Like... Are you that person who has everything? the coolest merch, and those must-have fan threads. Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. 
From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. That is going to be a wake-up call. They play Alfaya a few weeks later and there are 610 people in a stadium. Now, it only holds 7,000, which won't have felt as bad. But still, like when you're looking up and you can actually basically stand there and count the people, <clears throat> I'd imagine that was a, a big factor. And it's it's potentially a factor in why there are some rumblings that major changes are planned for the Saudi Pro League, that they're going to try a different a different approach. And maybe rather than going for the big names, they're going to try and target young players coming out of European academies and bring them over and almost try and grow them as homegrown stars and do it that way. I don't think it's going to work either way, but I'd imagine when 600 people are turning up to a game and the powers that be are looking at it and going, well, hang on a sec. What have we spent all these hundreds of million for? Why are we paying these players all this money? I, I just can't see that this league is going to work properly. Not not the way they're going about it anyway. No, we spoke about this again at length at the start of the season, and I think we were both pretty unanimous the the approach to do what they're doing now. You get nothing from it beyond an no. initial boost, maybe, or a bit of excitement, or you know, obviously news headlines. You get nothing out of it. Like long term, none of these players are there for six, seven years, even if they are committed to the project or anything like that. They're mm. just they're not at that stage of the career, so it isn't a way to to succeed or grow a league or a sustainable way, at the very least. Um, but regardless, I think Henderson come back to Europe is overall a net positive for him, whether it's football-wise a success. I, I'm still I'm probably going to have my doubts about this. I think even for Ajax's perspective, it's maybe a little bit easier to pick out a couple of reasons as to why they've done it. You, know, you mentioned, obviously, the awful start we mentioned about them when, I can't remember if they were 17th at the time when we spoke about them. Yeah. Um, I mean, this this signing for me smells of Christian Poulsen. You know, the time they had a really exciting young team, but they needed just a bit of... I mean, they needed a prick in midfield, to be perfectly honest. Someone who was going to do a bit of dirty work for them, do a bit of things that needed to be done, let's let's say, and obviously be just very, very simple on the ball. Let people run around him, but he'd be the one who would tell them positionally, that kind of thing. I suspect they're looking for the same thing from Henderson, given the the ages, the respective um, uh, experience that they have in, in that midfield group. And obviously, they've probably acknowledged, like you said, this year, there's no chance of the league. So can we do something to improve these plays for next year? Yeah, I mean, if they're signing him to do the dirty work, I'm afraid I have some bad news for them. Yeah. He hasn't done dirty work in about four years. Um, it will be interesting. I mean, Ajax do have a couple of really, really talented young midfielders. I do very much like Kenneth Taylor, Sivert Manswerk, the young uh, Norwegian, also very, very talented. 
So it will be interesting to see uh, how Henderson fits in alongside them and also how they react the first time he starts pointing and screaming at them because they haven't made a 40-yard run to one of his passes. Um, Let's move on. It's enough Jordan for today. You were on holiday, so I don't want to keep you too long. So let's just get straight into Bournemouth. Um, Currently sitting 12th in the league, Carl. And in very good form. Now, they did lose last time out to Tottenham. That was their first defeat since the 4th of November when they lost to Manchester City. So only City and Spurs have beaten them since mid-October. They have beaten Burnley, beaten Newcastle, beaten Sheffield United, drawn with Aston Villa, gone away to Crystal Palace and won, gone away to Manchester United and won, gone away to Nottingham Forest and won, beaten Fulham quite comfortably at home, and they've advanced in the FA Cup, beating Queen's Park Rangers, having gone 2-0 down. This is a team playing very, very well, and the the media types who rushed to point and laugh in mid-October when they were sitting 19th in the league, they had three points from their nine games, they hadn't won yet, wanted to rub it in that they'd gotten rid of Gary O'Neill and look how well Gary O'Neill is doing. All of those people are now very, very quiet because it it appears that the Iraola revolution at Bournemouth has now taken hold. And this is now a very tough game for us, I feel. Yeah, definitely. Especially um especially with us being, I would say, still not quite electric away from home. Like obviously we've had some good wins and the win over Arsenal was a big result, but I don't think performances have always been exceptional away from home. Ultimately, probably you don't care about that if we get the job done on another day, on another game, on another, you know, three points clocked up, but it isn't going to be easy in the slightest. I think way back at the start of the season when we were doing, I think, season previews, to be honest, um, and we spoke about Iraola coming in and how he was going to revamp the team, let's say, and re- rework it, why they'd made such a, was at the time, a surprising change because O'Neill had done that. So no, no two ways about mm. that. But Iraola had done exceptionally well in Spain, like over yeah. a couple of seasons and shown that he could not just build a team but then continue to progress it. Um, so it was a gamble on both parts, but one which made sense and, and had real reason behind it. Um, and we spoke about the the strengths that they had, one being that attack and midfield line, like they had loads of options at the start of the campaign for the three behind the one. Um, and I felt at the time that they needed someone else in central midfield who could be a bit more of a ball winner, a bit more um, ground covering ability, real athleticism or power. That I think that that was the thing that I thought they needed at the time. They've not really looked like they've lacked that, even in games where they have been like in the shorter stature side or in theory overpowered in midfield. You look like the Fulham game you mentioned, Bellinia and Kearney, that should be far, far stronger than any midfield at all, which has Ryan Christie in it. Let's be perfectly honest. But they just didn't let them get near it. It was so fast moving, really, really good one-touch football. The playing out from the back around the the Fulham attacking midfield line and then the central midfield line was superb at times. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about Shango Watara at left back, but 
obviously as an outlet he is special you know that's that's a really good mm. ball carried ability very good pace obviously wants to get forward because he is an attacker um and i mean we'll talk about it maybe in more depth if you want but i think the outperformance this season for Dominic Sanke has just been unbelievable yeah i do want to get to dom because i think he's an important piece to touch on um so just just for uh just to be up to date on where they stand with injuries. Tyler Adams still a couple of months away. Uh, Hamid Traore recovering from malaria, which can't be fun. Uh, Marcus Sinisi suspended. Lloyd Kelly still out injured. Milos Kerkez potentially back for this one. Ryan Fredericks, he's out. Darren Randolph is out. And then Oatara and Semenyo, they're both gone to AFCON. So... Like us, they're missing a chunk of their squad. And it feels like they're missing some really important players. Sinisi has formed that partnership at centre-back with Savarni, which has been important to them. Um, Owatara, like you said, has been playing... Because he, he wasn't getting m- many minutes playing in the attack. And when Kirkus got injured, they moved Owatara to left-back. and. It it did really seem to be something that could work. And then obviously Tyler Adams has barely kicked a ball this season, um, which is a big blow because they spent big money to get him. And I think he was quite important to what they were hoping to do, but they have made it work. No business done thus far in the uh, January transfer window by Bournemouth, but they are being linked to... They've been linked to an Ecuadorian midfielder whose name is just bouncing out of my head right now. Anyway, they've been linked to a young midfielder. But other than that, it seems like it might be a quiet enough month for them. Um, let, let's actually just start with Dom then. So we did talk about how one of the things we felt they might need is someone to share the goal-scoring burden with him. Because prior to this season, Solanke had not shown himself to be the type of striker who could score heavily in the Premier League. He'd done really well in the Championship, but in the Premier League, he had scored one goal in 21 for Liverpool, three in thirty, three in 42 for Bournemouth prior to relegation, and then just six in 33 last season. This year, he's got 12 and 19, and he's still doing... All the other things that we praised him for. The hold-up play, the link play. He's doing a lot of the dirty work. His interplay is very, very good. But he does seem to have now found that goal-scoring touch. And a big part of the credit must go to the manager, who I think is getting him into slightly different positions and having him less involved in the build-up deeper. His contribution is a lot more in and around the penalty box. and. Look, we've seen some of the top clubs, Newcastle most recently, being linked with a move for Dominic Solanke. So it is very possible that come the summer, he's going to be off. And if he can carry on playing this way, you can see why clubs would be very, very interested in bringing him in. Yeah, I think in this Bournemouth side, there's arguably at least four players who you would look at and say, yep, he could probably do a job at, at least, let's say, a top six club. Um, for some of them I think consistency has been a bit of an issue not just um, 
not just at Bournemouth, but maybe over the last few years of their career as well, which is a little bit of an opportunity why Bournemouth have been able to get them, to, to be fair. But again, you're looking at Idaola and the coach and has given them that structure and the ability to be a lot more consistent than they had been previously. And then a couple of really good signings, to be honest, um, where they've identified someone with good potential. Uh, someone you spoke about a lot before he actually joined the Premier League, Alex Scott. Mm. It's been a little bit unfortunate with injuries so far, but when he plays, he's been several times the best player in the park. Like, really, really good, really progressive, very, very confident player. Um, and, you know, still only 20 years of age, so hopefully injuries do clear up a little bit uh, over the next season or so, and they still get another couple of years out of him. But you can easily see that he is the, t- the calibre of player that bigger clubs will go for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially as a homegrown player as well. He'll have he'll have a lot more value to them. Um, I think Kirkes is another one that likely ends up at a top team. We've talked about Zarbani before. I think he's got that kind of potential. And then there's one or two, like Oatara, like the raw material is there. He's got lightning pace, he's good 1v1. The inconsistency that you mentioned is is a big factor with him, but he's still only 21. And if he can, if things can click for him and you'd you'd back it under a good development manager like uh, like Irola, like there's a, very much a possibility for him to get a big move. A player who kind of lost his way at Norwich, Max Ahrens, seems to be getting himself back on track, seems to really have found a groove at Bournemouth. It's not all that long ago he was being talked about as a £40 million player attracting interest from Manchester United, from Tottenham. So perhaps he, who's still only 24. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter, at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Still has time to earn that big move as well. And this is where Bournemouth need to settle in, is they could be the next Brighton. If they want to look for inspiration, look at Brighton, similar size club, Similar enough location down in the South Coast. They've bought players to develop and sell and reinvest. And there's no reason Bournemouth can't do that and become a very sustainable operation who other clubs then look at and think, you know, we've got a lad here we'd like to develop. Chelsea with Levi Colwell, as example. Let's send him to Bournemouth on loan for a year. Good manager, good style of play. We know we'll get back a better version of what we're sending down there. And that can also be beneficial to them. A hundred percent. I mean, we've spoken recently about Crystal Palace and you know the opportunity that they have for growth of 
their team and the direction that the club takes, that kind of thing. There's no reason why Bournemouth, Palace and probably a couple of other teams as well don't follow the Brighton pattern, to be honest, and be their own version of that. It's not going to be exactly the same. You don't want to copy it exactly and be always in competition for the exact type of players and all the rest of it. But mm. to be to be that kind of progressive club, to be that kind of obvious direction within your team and the way that you build and the way that you replace players when they are targeted by bigger players, absolutely, 100%. I think they've made a really, really good start to, if you want to call it the, the latest era of the club. But it's not all about doing it for one season, obviously, and it's not about having success over six months or eight months or ten months is about being able to have the repetition, being able to have the structure above the manager in place to keep that going for you know three and four years. And like when Brighton started, it didn't just immediately happen for them. No. It was like two or three groups of young players they bought before the first real successes started to show their worth. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like it, they had to refine the process and they had to find the right manager as well. And like you said, you know, Iraola is likely there as a stepping stone in the same way I think De Zerbi is at Brighton as a stepping stone. So Graham Potter was there before him. So the, 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 the challenge for, for Bournemouth will be having that succession plan in place. And like you said, it's about finding their own way of doing it, not copying the Brighton model, but taking inspiration from Brighton and, and taking the idea that you don't have to outspend your rivals. You need to outsmart your rivals. And that's how you like the same thing is true of Liverpool. Liverpool haven't outspent Manchester United or Arsenal or Chelsea, but they've outsmarted them repeatedly. And that's why Liverpool have had success. Brighton, obviously, on a lower level, have had what they would class as great success top half finish, qualifying for Europe, getting to a cup semi final, etc. And they've done it by being smarter than the teams around them, smarter than West Ham, smarter than Fulham, et cetera, et cetera. There's no, way, no reason Bur- uh, Bournemouth can't <clears throat> also take a similar type of approach. And they've got a very ambitious owner in Bill Foley who does want success. We've seen, well, anyone that pays attention to the NHL will have seen what he's done with the Las Vegas Golden Knights and how quickly he turned them into one of the strongest, most competitive franchises in the NHL as a newly founded um, franchise. So he, he's known for risk-taking. He's known for an analytical approach. He's known for employing the best people behind the scenes, happy to spend money to get best in class. And and that's that's the right way to go about this. Rather than throwing extra money at the at the players on the pitch, Throw extra money at the people in the background who can spend less money on the players on the pitch and get a better outcome. So Brighton ended up doing it and it's worked really well. It's what we did and it worked really well. And can we just say as well, um, the deal that Foley did to, to sign 100% of the shares for the full ownership format, that was only worth like just over £100 million, I think. Mm. Like that was now what must be 15 months ago or something like that. And obviously there was possibility of relegation, all that kind of thing at the time, which perhaps lowered the price or hurried the exit of Maxim Domin. But that's a steal. Like for, for one player, if you look at Brighton as the example, you could make that much money back in a sale. Um, he, he could be on something which allows the club to grow enormously because he's already yeah. obviously uh, promised like 
expansion plans in terms of the training ground, the stadium, all of that. So there will be very, very happy, excited and optimistic Bournemouth fans everywhere at the minute. And in all honesty, the result against us won't change that. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And they should be excited. They really should be excited because the future is bright for them. And, you know, we talked about Alex Scott. If Alex Scott can stay injury-free for the next couple of years and develop to the player I think he can become, there's no reason that in the summer of 2026, one of the top clubs isn't coming in with a mega offer on him, 80, 90, 100 million. Like, we've just seen Declan Rice go for 105 million, Caicedo for 111, Enzo for 100. Midfielders are costing that type of money now. I think he's as talented as any of them. I think he's got absolutely enormous potential. I think people overlooked what a great get it was for Bournemouth because he was coming from Bristol and not from one of the more highly thought of academies. But there's no reason that he couldn't be the one that brings in an enormous sum in a couple of years. But I want to go back to Solanke because you just said there about the fans being optimistic and being hopeful and being excited. And I think one of the big things with Solanke this season is the mindset that he's in. And not just him, but the players around him. I think they're a lot more optimistic this season. I think they've got a a bigger feeling of we actually belong in the Premier League than they had last season because now they've got a manager telling them, you can go and beat anybody. We're going to Old Trafford. Go and play your game and let's go and dominate them. Last year, they came up with a manager telling them, you're probably going to get hammered 9-0 a couple of times, lads. And I think that can be massive. I think the messaging can be huge in the mindset of a player and what that results in on the pitch. And I think Solanke's proof of concept. Last season, he felt like he was playing with some some sort of imposter syndrome when he'd get chances in front of goal. This season, he's playing like a lad who thinks he might be one of the best strikers in the league. And on consistency level, he probably has been one of the best strikers in the league, to be honest. Um, I mean, he is the most important player in their team, in my opinion, because of the amount that he contributes I'm going to say outside of shooting, right? Just as a, a broad spectrum, like his link play, his one-touch link-up play, his ability to hold up the ball, but also his ability to carry the ball into different areas and let others run beyond him is, it's very, very, very good. Like in terms of elite level forwards, if people are not watching Bournemouth too much, I think that aspect of his game is very similar to Harry Kane's. Very, very similar in terms of how he can take a touch away from the first challenge, which is behind him, move into a little bit more space. And he's obviously got a little bit more acceleration to his game than Kane did as well. But he still has that ability and the vision to be looking up, not just to move into the space, but to where his teammates are running from mm. behind him. Tavernier, uh, Semenya was really, really good at this for a little period of the game. Clive has been getting more game time, although I'm not quite yet seeing that he's let's say again the consistency level to his game I think Claire that's a real talent but he's also a very immature player in my opinion yeah, he doesn't I quite have consistency yet but the runs that all three of those make that Christy makes on occasion from, from deeper any of the wide forwards basically are obviously instructed heavily like you just said play your game and that for them means be attacking 
be really, yeah. really offensive minded. Get into the box, get beyond the the fullbacks, and then you've got Solanke, who is capable of playing those through balls and then getting himself into the box as well. His work rate is off the scale. We already knew that from from his time at us. He was never, you know, anything of a letdown in in terms of athleticism or endeavour or intent or for, for what he did. But it's, it is then in the penalty box, obviously, that this season he's off the charts. Like his previous highest scoring season in a top flight was seven when he was on loan in Holland. And yeah. This is just, you know, even if you factor out penalties, this is comfortably going to be the best season of his career. It, you know, 29 goals in the championship is a really good thing, fine. But this is higher performance at a much higher, like yeah. correspondingly higher level uh, than anything the championship can produce. So this is already, as far as I'm concerned, the best I've ever seen from Solanke. And again, if we look at the respective ages and potential transfers or England inclusions, all the rest of it, I think Solanke at this minute in time is running Ollie Watkins very, very close for, let's say, the second spot behind Harry Kane. Whether or not he gets it in time for the Euros is another matter because Southgate obviously likes quite a lot of repetition in his squads and, and you know, a very, very cohesive group. That's a, a different matter. But I think in, in performance level terms, Solanke is very close to being the best. In, in the Premier League of the English forwards. Yeah, um, you know, he is one that come the summer, you, you could maybe see Tottenham have a look at because they haven't replaced Kane and it might be something that they look to do. And like you said, there are similarities in the skill set. And the thing is with him, like last season, you'd, you'd watch them play and he might not score, but you would come away impressed. Often when a striker doesn't score many goals, they're a net negative to the team. But there's never been a point with him where he's been anything other than a net positive. And we talked about it in the summer, like what what they need is goals around him, put goals around him and amplify all the things that he does for you. And that's how you can have success. Well, now he's getting the goals and still doing all the other stuff. And they, they... they really do have a very, very valuable asset on their hands. And given that he has three years left in his contract after this one, because they were smart and they locked him up before he had his big, you know, his big takeoff season, they'll get maximum value. Um, I'm with you on Clivert, very immature player, talent without question, but, I think he's inherited more than just his ta- his father's talent. I think he's inherited his father's kind of mindset and some of his behaviours, which is a bit of a shame. But if he could find consistency, he can be really valuable. They've got Sinistera there on loan. He's got a big opportunity now over the next few months to try and stake a claim to get a permanent move there in the summer. You mentioned um Tavernier, he's been really good. Semenyo had been good before he went to AFCON. They've got David Brooks there. Like, that's a really, really... Ta- and Oatara as well, obviously. That's a really talented group of players. And then they've got a lot of bodies in midfield. Christy, you mentioned. Alex Scott, we mentioned. Adams, we've talked about to come back. Lewis Cook is starting to play very well again. He had that silly sending off a couple of months back. Other than that... He's generally been very, very good in this run. Philip Billing seems to be contributing, not necessarily a starter in every game now, which I think works. You pick and choose the games for him. But he's another one. You mentioned lads running off him 
running off Solanke and getting themselves into the box. Billing is another one that that gets great value from Solanke's hold of play. And he can shoot from distance, which some of the others aren't capable of. Like, it's a it's a balanced squad. It, like, the pieces fit together really well. Oftentimes, with these newly, well, not newly promoted, but, you know, they're only 18 months back up in the Premier League. You look at them, you think, well, they've got a major hole here and the midfield doesn't really work because they've got half of their championship midfield and half of something they've bought since and you're waiting for them to buy one more and there's a gap somewhere. And like, but when you look at this squad, there isn't really a major weak point. Like I'm not a big Neto fan, but he's solid. It's a solid group of centre-backs. You've got good left-back options. You've got a good right-back, good options in midfield, especially when Adams comes back. And then that attacking group is really talented. So, like, this isn't a team that needs to do a whole bunch of business in this month. Like I said, if if they do, um, I need to find that kid's name. Um, Bournemouth, Ecuador, which is it Zambrano? Yeah, Oscar Zambrano. If they get, um, if they get him in the door, like that's another potential big sale down the road, but someone that fits with what they're doing and fits into the ethos of this squad. And I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. He's not coming in as an automatic starter, but they don't need him to be because they already have good players in those in that midfield area. I mean, Zambrano, on the face of it, uh, you know, under-20 South American coming from Ecuador, that's a very Brighton type of signing, isn't it, if we relate it back to what we were saying earlier? Yeah. That kind of ability to identify talent from not primary markets, which has made Brighton such a success over the last few years, to be honest. So. That, I've not seen him play. I'm not going to say what kind of player he is, but that profile of player is a good way to have your plan laid out to continually improve. And you know, if it's four million, I've just read there is the expected price. It's not much of a gamble either. Um, That's it. There's no risk you don't involved. Have too much of a, a return on that. Um, the only other thing I would add that you you were just sort of talking about there a little bit in terms of those. The attacking midfielders billing, obviously playing not too regularly 
in terms of every single week. Not that he played every single week before because he was suspended every six weeks, obviously, but you know, take that out of the equation. Um, <laughs> I think what Iraola coming in has done is probably, you know how they say when a, manager, a new manager comes in, oh, it's a clean slate for everybody. I think this case was like even more of a clean yeah. slate because it was moving away from established British names, to be perfectly honest. And not like to single them out specifically, but it is notable that people like Chris Metham and Adam Smith, their minutes this season, for example, are, are vastly reduced compared to what they would have been in previous campaigns. Now they've they've been fine. They've been fine yeah. football. I know, like you're not a big Adam Smith fan. That's fine. Chris Metham is just a probably top end of a championship. Is his he's best or you know where he? Yeah, he's born. he's just fine. Like he's a grand yeah. championship defender. But they would have played more minutes for previous managers and. Like you said, like I've spoken about before, like I think the most important thing for centre backs in particular is partnerships. And you mentioned just earlier on, Zvani and Senezi have been a really, really strong partnership when those two have been playing. And there's been obviously chops and changes, and there's been plenty of rotation, a few injuries along the way as well. But that's been their best pairing in terms of consistency, in terms of really quick understanding between them, in terms of technically the way that they want to play as well, like playing out from the back, but also. Uh, the the centre back's ability to cover against counter attacks and so on and so forth. So I do think that not just Iraola's ability to obviously say, "Yep, you'll fit the job that I want you to do here," but just that entirely new approach to who will play and who will not play on a regular basis is is really been a big positive for them this term. Um, Zabani, I think, has played most Premier League minutes for them this season, which. I understand and we understood last season and we said about it like he came in halfway through the campaign he was a young player there was obviously a whole lot going on last January for he was injured all Ukrainians and he had an injury so we understood that he wasn't going to be an, a regular through the first five months there but you could have played him a few more games and towards the end of the season obviously once they were safe from relegation yeah. they did them playing what was it three games in a row at the end of the campaign something like that to go from that to being their first choice player on the team sheet, I think only speaks volumes as to his quality level, his consistency level. Again, if you want to keep making the same point about Bournemouth's progression uh, and obviously the, the underlying ability that he has within this team structure, it's it's very, very impressive from him. I think he's, I mean, we've had him mapped out for a few years now as one of Europe's better centre-backs. And I think that his mm. progression has not been, I wouldn't say it's been like a rocket ship progression. Like sometimes you get players come out of nowhere. I actually spoke about them before and they'd be 17, 18 years of age, never played senior football. And then suddenly they're a first team and get into the latter stages of a European competition. It's not that kind of a progression for Spidey. He's just been playing well, learning and getting better. And I think that that's arguably more of a base that you want if you're looking at paying quite big money for him a couple of years down the line. Yeah. And like, I know it was frustrating for Bournemouth fans in the back half of last season, and I, I did see some complaints. You know, we spent all this money on this lad and he's injured. Why didn't we buy somebody else? And yada, yada, yada. But there was a bigger picture there. And the bigger picture was he was getting that time to adapt to England. He wasn't having to play when, unquestionably, he would have had bigger things on his mind than football, given what was going on in, in the Ukraine. And he was able to adapt. He was able to get his English up to speed. He was able to get to know his teammates. And then when he did come into the team, he did look a player. And obviously this season, he has been really, really strong. I recently did a um, 
the biggest January needs for each Premier League team on the EPL Index website. Did it in five pieces and Bournemouth are in the first piece. And when I went through the squad, I was like, ideally, I probably want to upgrade on, on Sinisi, but I don't think that's something you do in a January. I'd like a new goalkeeper there, but there's not a real market of goalkeepers available in this month that will suit sort of the recruitment strategy they seem to have implemented of targeting younger players. So as I looked around, the only thing I could really fall back on was what we talked about in the summer. Another nine, a backup for Solanke, someone that can maybe play with Solanke in some games, but or someone that can come off the bench and maybe give you a bit of a goal-scoring punch. That was it. That was the only thing I could really come up with for them to do in this month because continuity can be key to a team under a new manager, learning a new way of football. So you don't really want to change or mess with too much. And I just went back to the name that they they were linked with in the summer, which is Pats and Daka, uh, given he's just been kind of out of favour at Leicester. Um, he did have a little spell on the team when when Vardy was hurt, but I'm sure when he comes back from AFCON, he'll be back on the bench. So I do wonder if if that's maybe a move they could look to resurrect. I know he's away, but he'll come back from AFCON. You could have him come straight in after that. But I don't think they need to do a whole lot. I think they're in a really good position, and I think it's it's enormous credit to the ownership who, you know, they took over a team, like you said, threatened by relegation. They spent money to get out of that. Then in the summer, they doubled down. They spent more money to put themselves in a stronger position to avoid a repeat of the beginning of last season. They changed manager. And they didn't just say, oh, well, Gary O'Neill doesn't have much experience. Let's go and get someone more experienced in. Like, what's Alan Pardew doing these days? They were really brave. And they went and they got one of the most sought-after young managers in Europe. And it's it's worked out really well for them, despite what the naysayers had to say after nine games. Um, with us then, going into this weekend, obviously we sit top of the league and Villa's disappointing draw at Everton meant that they didn't um, go level on points with us. City did close the gap with their win at Newcastle. But we do still sit top of the league and multiple points clear by ourselves. This weekend, obviously, no Matip done for the season. No Besetic. Who knows when we see him again? No Thiago. Who knows when we see him again? Costas and Robbo do really seem to be progressing and getting back towards being available, but probably still a couple of weeks away for both of them. Obviously, Trent ruled out for a few weeks, which it was a big blow. But Dominic might be back. Now, I wouldn't imagine he comes straight back in and starts, but it would be nice if he was at least on the bench. And then Endo's at the Asian Cup and, and Moe's at AFCON. So, you know, we're, we're fairly light numbers-wise. I assume we're going to see one or two very young faces on the bench. But what would you be looking to do in this game if you were Jurgen in terms of your your team and your setup? Because we've seen when Trent isn't there, we tend we're tending to invert the fullback less. Mm-hmm. Connor Bradley didn't shift inside at all last time yeah. out. Which do you think will we go with a straight four three three? Yeah, I think so. I think 
the way that Bradley played it was super straightforward. And I think that that was absolutely the right call to make given the match, but also the right call to make given our other absences. Because as we, as we said at the time, it was a completely new right side. And not just because it was a cup rotation or anything, but because all of that right side is gone at the minute for different reasons. Trent, Sobelside, Salah. I think if you're bringing new players in to try and fill what are three really, really important players in this team, you have to simplify their game and just let them do what they're very, very good at um, in each case. So I would absolutely advise doing exactly the same thing, especially because, as we've just said, for right back for us, their biggest strengths have certainly been that attack and midfield line. So whichever way around we we rejuggle the, sh- the side, um, the fullbacks, I think, have to be able to perform at their very best level in a fairly simplistic manner, to be honest. So we know Ali will will be in goal. I'm I'm going to assume it's Ibu and Virgil at the heart of the defense, and Joe Gomez is left back with Connor Bradley right back. I I feel like that's what he's going to go with here. I think Bradley played well enough. Uh, well, he played very well in mm. truth, but I think he played well enough to make it so that he's not undroppable is the wrong, but in the current circumstances. Yeah. Given the, the other first, options are Owen Beck, yeah. Callum Scanlon. Yeah, I think he's the go-to of the three youngsters. And Joe has been really good at left-back. So, you know, there's no issue there. So Bradley right-back, Gomez left-back? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the only other real possibility is obviously Kwanzaa comes in. Um, and then that's a question of, do you want Kwanzaa at right-back just because he's played more games there and he's perfectly fine moving forward in possession? Um, not sure that we get exactly the same output in terms of him overlapping down the side or anything like that, but probably playing from the back, he'd be perfectly okay. Um, but then it would obviously leave us with, again, no centre-back yeah. on the bench. So it doesn't really solve too much for us. No, and <clears throat> I will always be sc- scared by Martin Skirtle playing the right Martin back. Kelly right-back experiment. No, no, Martin Skirtle playing right back was something that I, I had actually I had actually spent thousands of pounds with counsellors to forget, and now you've brought that back up. So thanks for that. No, it was more Martin Kelly was a really promising right uh, promising centre back, and we stuck him at right back under Rafa and had him rampaging up and down, and his body broke and it never healed itself, and he never became anything close to the player he had the potential to be. And I, I just have this horrible image of Gerald Kwanzaa at full pelt, overlapping down the right, slinging in a cross, and then clutching his hamstring and having to be stretched off the pitch and not being seen again for 18 months. Um, no, I, I think Bradley makes sense. And I think, you know, with, with the cup game coming up as well, the two cup games, the second leg obviously against Fulham, but the FA Cup game, more to the point, against um, against either Norwich or Bristol Rovers, and we'll find out who tonight. I think it just makes more sense to give Bradley this game and certainly the FA Cup game and then see where we are for the Fulham game um, and see where he is as well. Like, See if, if the better thing to do with him might be to loan him out for the remainder of the season and get him another 15, 16 games. Because after January, it's hard to see where the games will come for him because I think Jürgen will want to go as full strength as possible, as often as possible. And plus with Costas and Robbo back, 
Gomez will be the de facto backup right back. So, uh, you know, let's get Bradley as many games as we can at the moment and see where he stands come the end of the month. In midfield, Alexis will start and Curtis Jones will start. So the question is, who's the third one? There's three options. Cody Gakpo hasn't done well in midfield this season. Ryan Gravenberg hasn't been particularly good this season, but, you know, are still early days. And he has had some very promising games at the very start of the season. And then his cameos against uh, City and Arsenal were both very, very good. And Harvey Elliott, who is has been the best of the three this season, but most of his best moments have come off the bench. He hasn't looked the same when he starts. So who do you go with? I think I'm going Harvey Elliott, to be honest. I think you know we spoke when Salah was mm. about to go away and we said that he probably deserved a little bit of a run in the team. So playing him the couple of cup games from the right side of the attack made sense, getting some minutes, get him a couple of starts, see what he can do. So I think he was okay, but not amazing there. But I do think that he is still the most formed player of that group that you mentioned. Uh, so I would be starting him, especially because, as we mentioned, Bournemouth are not the biggest, most ferocious midfield. It is a very, you know, tactical, ball-playing kind of uh, combination, unless they put Billing in there. Um, I don't think that they have anyone who is going to ridiculously... But even over- he's not... Like, he's big and strong. Yeah, he's big and strong, but he's not like a big, dynamic, dominant ball winner. Type, no, no, no. He? he's not like a, a super aggressive ball winner or anything like that. He is just—it really is. I think with Elliot, the biggest thing is about combined with our other midfielders, our lack of aerial ability. To be honest, in midfield, and some teams do bully us a bit there, where you know second balls where the midfielders are competing or you know launched passes from deep. I think that we can struggle there sometimes in the midfield area. I just don't think it's a problem against Bournemouth as much. So I'm I'm pretty fine with Elliot starting in midfield, and I do think that he should start anyway. Yeah, no, I, I agree he should start. So with him in midfield, we have four options for the front three. <clears throat> so I, I really liked the Luis Diaz run at right wing, and I thought the Diaz-Jota-Darwin front three that we saw looked like something that might be worth trying. So I think I'd go with that and have Cody as the one who comes off the bench. But I could very well see him go Diaz-Cody-Darwin and have Jota come off the bench because obviously Diogo's still just just back from the injury. And I think he's the one who'd be most comfortable in any of the front three positions. So you have him as that sub-option to bring on for whichever of them you want. Agreed on Jota's versatility, but I think given that he did look sharp uh, before a little break there. And the fact that we have just had a little mm. break, I'd be fine starting him. And therefore, if we do need to make a change, he can switch out from centre forward to whichever other role he needs to for, uh, fill in for. From centre. Yeah, and plus, like, obviously, Harvey could go back onto the right side of the front three if needed, and you could bring Gravenberg into midfield. Um. So, yeah, I mean, Jota would be my pick. And the other thing as well, you've mentioned the break. We've also got a week now after this game before the next one. And the next one is, if it's Bristol Rovers, that's a game we can probably play kind of half a team and a number of the younger players. It's an awful shame the likes of Besetic isn't fit because, you know, if he was fit by now, that'd be a really nice game to introduce him back into. 
Um, yeah, I, I think Jota in between Diaz and, and Darwin is probably the play. I'd, I'd hope so. I think that's a strong team. Even with all the absences, I think that's a strong team. The only player who's sort of unproven at the senior level is Connor Bradley. But he was he was very good against Fulham. He had that really good sub-appearance against Arsenal. And obviously, he had a great season last year. Like he was tremendous for Bolton in their season last year. So it's not like senior football is completely foreign to him. Um, and with Semenyo be not being there, this would be his Premier League debut. It's like his first start, yeah. But still, like, I mean, you know, he has to make it at some point. Yeah. So Bournemouth away is as good a game as any because the next is the next league game Chelsea. Am I right with that? I think the next league game is Chelsea. I'd rather him make his debut here. And at least, <laughs> at least have the the ninety under his belt. Um, right, give me a prediction, and we'll get out of here. Uh, I do think it'll be a difficult game, but I think that this is a game which is going to be sort of technical and tactical, rather than um, sometimes we get bogged down in the blood, sweat, and tears kind of away games. So, I think Bournemouth will come out at us straight away. I wouldn't be surprised to see them score first. To be perfectly honest, if we're a bit sluggish, which we can be sometimes after we've had a few days off, and this is more than a few days, obviously. So I'm going to go for us to win from behind, but we are really going to get jolted, I think, by this team. So I'll go for a 2-1. That's fair. That is fair. I'm going to go slightly more confident. I'm going to go 2-0. I think we'll win this game. I think we've got I think we've got more than enough in what we've what we've laid out and did the sub options. You know, and I think this could be an opportunity maybe for someone like Bobby Clark to get a decent run off the bench because again their midfield is not the biggest, the most physical. So I don't think you'd you'd worry too much about throwing him in for fifteen. Um yeah, no, I think I'm gonna go two nil. Right. We will leave it there. Carl is on holiday, so there's no work to plug, but do follow him on Twitter at Carl Matchett, where he will be updating people on his travel plans for the rest of the year. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.